Thanks for checking out this sermon at New Beginnings. As a church, we exist to become an authentic, biblical community. That transforms our city and impacts the world. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make you aware of a few things before we begin. First, we would love to connect with you on our website. NBBCTX.org. There you can find more information about who we are. Additional resources and links to our social media network. As well as an opportunity to give. To what God is doing in and through our church. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, good morning. morning. I'm glad you're here today. It's an exciting day. I'm excited that you're here. Uh, But I'm also excited because we are joined today live by our Gilmer campus. So I want to welcome our Gilmer campus. Thank you so much for joining us today in worship. And uh, I want to get our Spring Hill family. Put your hands together and welcome our Gilmer campus this morning. Um, If you're new to New Beginnings here in Spring Hill or there in Gilmer, thank you for being our guest today. My name is Todd Connitz. I serve as uh, lead pastor here, and uh, it's always great to see new faces and have guests uh, here, part of our church. We are one church. We meet in two locations, and uh, on most Sundays, I'm right here in uh, Spring Hill, and we have Pastor Matt, who preaches regularly uh, each and every week there at our Gilmer campus. And by the way, let me just brag on Matt for a second. He is doing an unbelievable job, and I think at both campuses, we should... Uh, thank Jesus for Matt. I'm telling him he's doing a great job, man. Such a blessing to our church family. But again, thank you, Gilmer Campus, for joining us. And uh, it's an exciting day. Today's a day. We don't do this often. We don't have simulcast often. Uh, typically, it's live communication. But a couple of times a year, we will do this for certain Sundays. This Sunday is Vision Sunday. As we think about the fall kickoff that's happening next week, I wanted us to have an opportunity where both campuses could be together and just be reminded of the vision that God has given us as a faith family. You know, vision is important, right? Vision is is imperative. It helps us know not only where we're going, it helps us see the journey along the way. And I was reading an article this week uh, about the importance of vision, and it told a story about um, Chris Paul, who is uh, an NBA all-star, probably future Hall of Famer, one of the premier point guards in uh, the NBA. And it was telling a story about he, people don't know this, but he has terrible eyesight. And as a point guard, that's not a good thing. And and so it's kind of a family thing. And so his dad and his brother both had bad eyesight. And, and they were telling him, you know, you need LASIK surgery. You need surgery to fix what is wrong. And uh, he is a self-proclaimed hypochondriac. So he is scared to death because he thinks there's, something's going to happen bad if he has a surgery. And so he just refused to do it. And finally, the team was like, you've got to do this. Your, your eyesight is terrible. And so he's frustrated, doesn't want to have. So he goes into the consultation meeting here at the office. Uh, he was playing for the Clippers at the time. He walks in and he's frustrated and he goes in to do his eye examination and he looks at the wall, he finds the eye chart and he just reads perfectly, looks at it and reads perfectly the 2020 and the 2010 vision. And he looked at him and he's like, what else do you want? I mean, this is perfect. I just told you the 2020, 2010, you know, letters, leave me alone about this. Uh, To his surprise, there was no eye examination poster on the wall. It was a picture he was looking at. His eyesight was so terrible, he thought it was the eye chart on the wall. And so they were like, you just proved our point. Needless to say, he's had surgery, all right, and things are, things are better. The point is this, is that, that vision matters. And the truth is you can't fake vision. Either you have it or you don't. 
And as a church family, we must have vision. We must understand who we are, where we're going, and, and that way we, we can enjoy the journey along the way, knowing where God is taking us as a church. So let me uh, just uh, share with you our vision statement. By the way, before I do, let me ask the question. Don't think I'm going to call on you because I'm not, all right? How many of you would lift your hand up and you think, I think I know the vision statement of New Beginnings. Raise your hand up high if you know that. Raise your hand up high. I'm not going to call on you. Some of you, some of you, some of you, some of you are raising your hand and it's like, do I really? Um, so if you raise your hand, just say it with me. You can say it quietly with me. Just say it with me. It's to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's pretty good. That's awesome. More of you spoke than raised your hand, and that was good. So that's who we are. We're, 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 a, we're an authentic biblical community. We're, we're, we're desiring God to create in us a genuineness in our pursuit for him, that we would be authentic and real, that who we are on Monday is not different than who we are on Sunday, that there would be a, a, a genuine pursuit of Jesus where we'd be honest about our failures and weaknesses and together strive toward the life that Jesus has for us. Amen? And that we would do so in the context of community uh, with, with God's word and the gospel being the hub that holds it all together. And here's what we believe is going to happen. When we become an authentic biblical community, we will be a, a, a church that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we want to be a church. We, we truly believe that God has not called us to be a church in a city, but rather be a church for the city. Let me explain to you what I mean. There's a lot of churches all over cities, all over America, and here's kind of what they, they do. They have a location that they're hoping people will come to, and so they're, they're in the city, and they're saying, hey, we're here. If you want to be a part, come and join what's happening here. We're here for you. But we don't want to be a church like that. We, we want to be a church that says, yes, we gather, but we're not going to be known for you coming to us. We want to be known for us coming to you. We want to be a city that, that a church that sees the city transformed, that we mobilize out of this room and we go and we make a difference in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? And then all over the world, that we would mobilize wherever the gospel was absent, that we would go in, and whether it's partnering through a local church or planning a local church, we would go into unreached places, places where the gospel is not prominent, and, and we would be uh, the voice piece of God that says, listen, God loves you and he wants to transform your life just like he has ours. And that is the heartbeat behind everything that we do. So what does an authentic biblical community look like? That's the question I want to wrestle with this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them and go with me to Acts chapter 2. And what I want to talk about this morning is I want to look at a familiar passage of Scripture, especially if you've been here for any length of time at New Beginnings. It's a verse and passage we revisit often. It's because an authentic biblical community basically is this. Let me just unpack it like this. We want our church to look as close to the early church as we can possibly look like in our context and our culture. So whatever Jesus had in mind when he started the church, we want to strive to become that. And in whatever context or culture we're in, we want to take those things that we see that Jesus birthed at the very beginning, and we want to say, we want to look like that, we want to operate like that, we want to be that type of church, because that church changed the world, amen? I mean, that church, church turned the world upside down, so that's what we're running after. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 42. If you're there, say, I'm there. At Gilmer Campus, Matt's going to tell on you if you did not say, I'm there. All right, so you're going to be held accountable. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, here we go. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and uh, belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And listen to this. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor of all the people. Now listen to this. At the end of this phrase, I'm going to go ahead and prompt you with something. There needs to be a, a really great amen at the end of this uh, because this is good stuff. So listen, don't disappoint me. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Thank you. It's almost like I didn't even prompt you to do it. So here's what we find here. I want to look at this early church, an authentic biblical community. This is what we just read about. So think about what happened. The early church was birthed in an instant. Earlier on in chapter 2, Peter preaches a message. You know, the Holy Spirit falls, fills the believers. They go into the streets. They preach the gospel. 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus. And so the first church was a megachurch. Like the first church is 3,000 people filled with the Holy Spirit, saved by the blood of Christ, baptized into his name, and now they're ready to change the world. But the question is, what do they do? What do they do? I mean, for crying out loud, Beth Moore hadn't written a book yet. And, and, and there was no conferences that Peter, James, and John could go to to figure out how church should look. Like, but what you find here is in verses 42 through 47, where we just read, this is what the Holy Spirit produced. This is what Jesus produced. I want to look at uh, this morning four practices of an authentic biblical community. Four, four practices of an authentic biblical community. And for those of you who call this your church home, you're going to recognize these four practices as our four core values here at New Beginnings. This is how we live out the vision. This is what we believe an authentic uh, biblical community uh, looks like. This is what we look like. So number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, an authentic biblical community gathers in worship. An authentic biblical community gathers in worship. It's evident here that the early church valued engaging God's presence together. They, 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 were, they were gathering in this passage in small groups. They were gathering in large groups. It says they would gather at the temple together, a large courtyard where they could gather together and say, what did they do in those big corporate gatherings? Well, according to some of these verses in church history, they would gather together and they would sing praises. It specifically says here that they praised God with a reverent but joyful heart. In other words, they celebrated the fact that they were redeemed, but they understood that because God's presence was near, there was a, a reverence as they entered into his presence. They, they said under the preaching of God's word, the apostles would teach and preach. It says that they would observe the Lord's table. It says that when they were breaking bread here, this is not just a, a, a reference to making sandwiches. This is literally the bread of communion and they would remember what makes them the body of Christ. And it says that they were devoted to prayer. So they would pray and they would worship and they would lift their voices in prayer on behalf of one another, on behalf of the mission of God. And you see this all through the book of Acts and through church history. And they valued, they gathered together, and God's presence would be manifested among them. That's why it specifically says here, and, 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 they, and, and awe came upon every soul. Why were they standing in awe? Because God's presence was among them. That God moved, they gathered in worship, and God moved in their presence. There was a hunger to enter into, as the corporate body, into the presence of God so that the Holy Spirit would work in their life, not only ministering to them, but as they sang, they would minister to one another, and God would prepare their hearts to be used on the mission. Listen, church, listen. I love the fact that God is a personal God. Amen? Amen. 
And I, well, here's what that means. I, I love the fact that, that because I'm a spirit-filled believer, and if you're here and you, you have Jesus living inside of you, the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you, here's what that means. God is a personal God, and that means you can encounter God's presence regardless of where you are. It doesn't have to happen in church. It could be in your house when you're by yourself. It could be in a meeting when you know, man, I've got to have the wisdom of the Lord in this moment, and so I'm going to ask the presence of Jesus just to speak to me and give me words to say. You can experience God's presence. I've seen uh, people driving down the road, and it's evident, man, that they are in the Spirit. Their hands are lifted. They're singing. They're praying. Uh, some of you are like, he saw me. Right. So we, we can experience God's presence like at any point, right? Listen to me, church. There is a special manifest presence of God that we experience when we gather together in corporate worship that you cannot experience in isolation. There is something unique when the people of God gather together, when the redeemed come together, the saints, the blood-bought believers of Jesus who declare that he is Lord, when we gather together as one and we lift our voices and we pray and we sing and we come together to say, God, we want you near, there is a manifest presence of God that you cannot encounter in isolation. And you're missing out if you don't gather regularly in worship in anticipation of drawing near to God's presence. You're missing out. And listen, I'll just tell you, I know I've encountered this. I don't know about you, but there are weeks that I have where I just don't want to be at church. I've confessed this to you before. I just don't want to be at church. I'm like, I'm not feeling it. I feel dry. Like there's not a real hunger for the Lord in my life. And I know this is being authentic and uh, honest with you, but that's just my heart at times. A couple of times a year, this will be my experience getting up in the morning. And then my wife reminds me, you're the pastor. You have to go. It's kind of part of the gig, right? And I'm like, okay. And so I come sometimes, like some of you, with a bad attitude. So I come, and in and, and, and my heart, I'm like, man, I don't want to preach today. I don't want to stand up there half-heartedly and, and preach something that I don't feel in my heart. And, and inevitably, almost every single time I've had that experience, I've sat over here waiting to come up on stage. And as I hear, I hear you sing, and as we lift our voices together, it's like the Holy Spirit just floods my soul in a way that I cannot experience. Like there have been times where I've pleaded with God early in the morning by myself. God, I don't know what's wrong. I'm not, I'm not hungering you. I don't feel your nearness. And I come anyway, and then all of a sudden it's like we're together, and then the Holy Spirit just floods me because I'm experiencing his presence with the saints. And listen, this is what the early church did. They drew near together. There was a, a, a desire and a hunger. Can I just be honest with you? I, I know that in this room and in churches all over this community and our nation, that is not the reality for many. We're not coming into this place saying, man, we get to meet with God today. And we may be coming in saying, well, I want to hear a good sermon. I want to hear great music. I, I want to be able to uh, see some of my friends. I hope they stay on time. I'm just going to come. Some of you, maybe it's just checking the box. But we, I know that, that we don't draw near into this place anticipating God's presence like we should. And here's why. The infrequency for many in their attendance. I mean, think about it. If you, if you ever think about it, God the Creator wants to meet with us in this place as we gather together in a way that is significant and fresh every single week. Like, like when, you, when you get that, it's like you're going to want to draw near. There are going to be very rare occasions. Like I'm not missing that. God's going to be there and Jesus is going to be exalted and the Holy Spirit is going to invade my life. I don't want to miss it. Uh, the, the lack of urgency to be here. Not just infrequency, the lack of urgency. Uh, just, just, no, I'm just going to get there when I get there and and just come in and, and get out. 
For many, it's the lack of participation. We just kind of stand and tolerate and get through the music. Oh, that's great. Band did good. We sit down. Hope pastor's good. And there's no participation, no engagement. Listen, that is evidence that we are not drawing near to, anticipating, longing for the manifest presence of God to invade our space. But that is what the early church lived for. You see this through the book of Acts. I know that there are some churches, some churches, some churches, not saying this church. I know you're going to find this hard to imagine. Where people will stroll into the service uh, toward the end of the, the worship time, just in time to catch the message. Or just not, not be engaged enough to get here on time, just stroll in. I have people at some churches tell the pastor, hey, um, we come to the 10 o'clock service, not the 930 service. I know in some churches they, 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 there are believers that stand during worship and rather than lifting their hands and lifting their voices, they just stand and sip a cup of coffee. Listen, this is meant to be a gathering place of the saints. To draw in, near and into the presence of God. And listen, church, I, I know that this is something that is convicting and it needs to be convicting. But just think about the dichotomy in our life. Think about the dichotomy. So college football season is coming up. Anybody fired about that? Anybody fired up at all about that? And some of you are nervous to say woohoo because uh, you're like, he just wore me out about worship. I'm not saying anything about football. <laughs> you just anticipate. Thank you. <laughs> at least there's somebody honest in the room. So, I mean, college football is coming up. It's like electric, especially like in the state of Texas. Like everybody gets jazzed up and fired up. And, man, I love college football. And here's how it typically works. You know, like if, if you're, you got your team and, man, you're, you're ready for things to start. And so, like, the game is on, on Saturday. Whether you're going to tailgate and go to the game or you're just going to have it in your living room, there's a sense of anticipation, angst. Like on Friday, you're talking with the people at your work. Hey, do you think we're going to win? Then we're going to lose? Hey, then we're going to do this season. Man, tomorrow you're watching the game. Of course I'm watching the game. Who would miss the game? I'm watching the game. And if you're like a Razorback fan, you're not asking, are we going to win? You're saying, how bad? are we going to lose? How bad is the deficit going to be? This is hope we stay in here, man. And so you're having these conversations Saturday morning. You get up, you get your yard work done. You kind of uh, rearrange your schedule. The kickoff's at six. Buddy calls you, says, let's hang out. Okay, that's great, but I got to be back because the game kicks off at six. We got to throw stuff on the grill at five. We're going to be ready and nothing's going to interrupt that time. So there's all this anticipation. There's rearranging of schedule. There's excitement that's brewing in your soul so that you can sit down, turn the game on, hear the whistle blow and see the first kickoff. And then for the next two hours, you've lost your mind and you are lost in the moment what would happen in this church if this is the way we approach Sunday what would happen in this church if if we became a people that say you know what it's Saturday and Sunday's coming and we're going to get to gather and God's people are going to come and God's going to show up and he's going to move and it's going to be amazing so we're going to go hang out with some friends on Saturday we're going to get bed early and in the morning I'm going to get up I'm going to get dressed then I'm going to find a place where I can open my Bible and pray and prepare my heart because we get to meet with Jesus and God's people we're going to sing and we're going to lift our voices what would happen in this place if that began to be the way we prepared and prioritized gathering and worship. It would change this church. And church family, listen to me. We will never be a, city that a church that transforms the city apart from the presence and the power of God working among us. 
Gathering in worship is not an extracurricular. It is a priority for the people of God. Here's number two. An authentic biblical community not only gathers in worship, but we grow through community. We grow through community. I love what happens here. Look at verse 47. It says, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to to the teaching of God's word. Listen to this. And to follow the language here, the fellowship. The fellowship. It doesn't say they devoted themselves to fellowship. And this is why. I know I'm in East Texas. Because if you have any church culture background whatsoever, when you think of fellowship, I know what you're thinking about. Covered dish at the church, right? You got Mimi and Mama, and they're bringing their stuff, and you got to avoid certain foods that are brought, but you got to find the good stuff, and you better get your dessert in the first time in the line because it won't be there the last time in the line, right? Y'all know what? I, somebody said amen. Uh, you know I'm right. That's fellowship in East Texas. But he doesn't say they devoted themselves to fellowship. He says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. He's not talking about a meeting. He's talking about a people. The word fellowship there in the original language is a word that means the partnership or the participants. They were devoted to one another. They did life together. You can see it through the text. They're gathering in homes. They're sharing meals. They're they're loving one another. They're studying God's word together. They're sharing life together. These were individuals that recognized, listen, we're not members of 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 a group of people that just have a meeting once a week. We are a part of a spiritual family. Therefore, we we walk with one another. We we do life with one another. We're in each other's homes. We're, We're sharing burdens. We're talking about what God is doing in our heart. We're pleading with one another on behalf of one another and on behalf of the mission of God. In in, in other words, listen, these people were known by one another. At New Beginnings, that plays itself out in the form of life group. Life group is simply this. It's It's a small gathering of believers who enter into intentional relationship for the purpose of spiritual maturity and walking together on the mission of God. You come in together, and so it's a place where you are known and where you know one another, where you can share burdens. When you go through struggles, you can love one another, where you can really fulfill the law of Christ by loving your neighbor as yourself. And listen, spiritual life, listen, we were created for that. Like, I just need to kind of lay the cards on the table. God's intention was never to have Rambo Christians. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I could do this thing myself. I'm going to be by myself. I got my Bible and I got my whatever, and I'm going to do this thing alone. I don't need people speaking into my life or me speaking to their life. I'm just going to come to church, hear sermons, and I'll just do my deal, and I'm going to live in isolation. I don't want to confess sin. I certainly don't want you confessing your sin to me. I'm just going to do it myself. This is a Rambo Christian. By the way, they're releasing another Rambo. Dude's like 120 years old. Right? I love it. I'm going to go see it. I'll be at the premiere because I want to see him come out with his walker with a bazooka tied to it. I want to see it. So can I just help you? You know how long the movie Rambo would, would last if it was real life? About six minutes. Because wars are not won like this. Battles are not won with one guy and a couple of machine guns and a bow and arrow, and I'm just going to defeat everybody that comes my way. Wars aren't won. That dude is dead in five minutes. And listen to me, spiritual wars are no different. You you try to be Rambo. Let me just warn you what's going to happen. You're going to be a casualty. We need brothers and sisters. 
We need people in the foxholes with us. We need people who know our name, but not just know our name, our stuff. And we need to know their stuff. And together we can let Jesus do something that we could not experience in isolation. We want to gather in, in worship. We want to grow through community. So if you're not in a life group, let me encourage you, get in a life group. Find a life group. Get plugged into a life group. Uh, there's a, in the foyer, there's a, um, a table set up. would love for you to go and, and, and see what groups are available for you can get plugged in. In two weeks, we're going to throw a big party called Life Group Connect at both of our campuses. And uh, you can get plugged into a life group. Um, you say, well, I've been in a life group. Man, it just didn't feel right. I had a bad experience. I don't know. So let me just help you with this. Here's the analogy I always use when it comes to life group. Finding the right life group is like shopping for the right pair of shoes. Sometimes you've got to try a few pair on before you find the ones you like. And even then, you may have to wear them for a little bit before they feel right. Are you tracking with me? Right? So it may be that you need to... Uh, find a couple of life groups that you're going to visit, and then you're like, okay, I think this one might be a fit for me. And here would be my encouragement. Stay for a semester. Be engaged. Be faithful. Don't miss. Stay, because what you're going to find is, is that it's going to become more and more and more comfortable. And let me just throw this little word of wisdom and nugget out there to you. If you're in a life group that you're not challenged and you're not at times uncomfortable, you're probably in a life group that's not going to grow you spiritually. Because we need the discomfort of brothers and sisters who think differently, who have different struggles and different interests, so that we can learn to love one another and truly have iron sharpening iron. So we want to gather in worship. We want to grow through community. The next thing we want to do, we, we want to give to the kingdom. Authentic biblical communities, they give to the kingdom. Look what he says in verse 44 and 45. I love this. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So they're doing life together. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You see that these believers live with a radical generosity. They made sacrifices they gave in order to care for God's people and to advance God's mission. And you see this throughout the book of Acts. You see this playing out in church history. By the, by the way, by the time you get to the book of Acts, you, what you find is people giving of their offerings, selling possessions and giving their, their earnings and they're bringing them to the apostles. They're bringing them to the local church so that those resources could be stewarded and used to provide for the needs of those around them and to advance the kingdom of God through the local church. And here's what I love about this is that we are literally less than a chapter into the birth of the church and you see this radical generosity. They're saved five minutes and now they're living generously. And here's why that's important. It's not as if Peter did a giving campaign. Like Peter didn't go, all right, well, you're saved. We got to disciple these people to be generous. And so he's going to do a 12-week series on how you should steward your resources and get God's favor and blessings in your life. And then he's going to give you kind of some stories that rip your heart out, to motivate you to give. Peter does none of that. Here's what you have. Men and women bought by the blood of Christ, filled by the Holy Spirit, encountering the radical generosity that God has given them in Christ. And because of that, they become radically generous people. One of the greatest, listen, one of the greatest evidences that we've truly been transformed by the generosity of God is that we emulate the generosity of God. Spiritual maturity, listen to me, spiritual maturity is not how much of the gospel you know, but how much of the gospel you exercise and you emulate in your life. And when we come to the realization, church, listen to this, this is, this is, 
When you come to the realization, when I come to the realization of the generosity of God toward us in Christ, that what he gave for us to redeem us, to buy us out of bondage of sin and death, to make us his very own, when we understand the cost that Jesus paid to redeem us, listen, we will become radically generous people. The cross of Jesus is the only motivation that we need. By the way, it's a way that God can take his resources that he's entrusted to us according to the scriptures and use them in a way that expands his kingdom. And so you see these believers, they're generous toward the church. They're generous because they know the mission of God is being advanced there. So let me just share some good news for you. On both of our campuses, this fires me up. After today, in the past 12 months, we'll have seen between the two campuses nearly 250 people go public with their faith in Jesus Christ through believer's baptism. How incredible is that? Lives transformed. People changed. Moving from death to life. And listen, that's because of the generosity. When you give and you say, we want to let go of what God has entrusted us to give back to him as an overflow of his generosity towards us because we want to see life change. And you're going to witness in just a little bit men and women, boys and girls, whose lives have been wrecked by the gospel because of their participation in the ministry here at New Beginnings. I can't think of a better investment you could ever make with any resources you have other than to invest in the local church and see that type of life change happen. And can I just tell you why this is personal for me a little bit? One of those in that number is my son. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for a church that's generous and gives. And I'm going to ask you to wrestle with this question today as you think about it. The type of generosity that we find in Acts chapter 2, does that type of generosity exist in your life? Are you living with that level of generosity? An authentic biblical community gives to the kingdom. Here's the fourth thing an authentic biblical community does. It goes on mission. It goes on mission. Look at verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor of all the people. Listen to this. I love this. And the Lord. Everybody say the Lord. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So it's explicitly clear here. Listen, this church was used by Jesus to see men and women go from death to life, to see them saved by the power of the gospel. Now, I love this because Luke, when he writes the book of Acts, is very clear here. He says, and the Lord added to their number. Jesus does the saving, amen? But listen, here's the deal we have with him. We do the sharing, he does the saving. And that frees us, that frees us. Now, I don't have to worry about convincing someone and manipulating someone and talking someone into trusting in Jesus. Here's my responsibility. I am going to, out of an overflow of the love of Jesus and what he's done in my heart, I'm gonna go to the world who needs it, to friends, neighbors, relatives, to anyone who will listen, and I will say to them, hey, God loves you, and he sent Jesus, and he died for your sins, and he resurrected, and he's changed my life, and he can change your life life if you'll trust in him that there is hope for you and he is what you're looking for and he is what you're missing and you need to embrace him as your Lord and Savior I can go and I can share that message with the confidence that when I do Jesus is going to work in their life and his responsibility is to save I'm just called to be faithful in sharing when you read the book of Acts the reason people were saved because God used them you see them preaching in large settings you see them uh, 
sharing resources and giving to the poor so they can talk about Jesus. They were meeting the needs of the people in the community. They were loving and praying for those who persecuted them. They lived radically different lives, all the while pointing all of what they were doing to the hope that's found in Jesus. This is how we are to live, to go on mission, to be mobilized. Church family, listen to me. We do not want to be a church that just has people gathering and sitting in seats and hearing sermons or going to groups and talking about the mission of God. We want to be a church that mobilizes you onto the mission of God. The thing that would break my heart more than anything is for some of you to sit in this room week in and week out or there in our Gilmer campus and week in and week out and sit under the preaching of God's word filled with the Holy Spirit but never know the thrill of God using you in ways that you never imagined. This is, God wants to get you out of your comfort zone and get you on the mission field. To serve around the world, to go take Jesus to people who've never heard it, to serve in the city through the In the City Initiative as we go and meet needs in our community through our life groups. And we say, you know what, we know there's lostness around us in our cities and we want to go and, and, and be the hope of Jesus that speaks into that. Or right here on the campus, hundreds of volunteers are needed and we are lacking many. And listen, can I just be honest with you? Heart moment for the pastor. We have far too many spectators at New Beginnings Baptist Church on on both of our campuses. We have far too many spectators and not enough participants. So let me give you this analogy. Many people view church like a cruise ship. Y'all doesn't mind. If you've not been on a cruise, you need to go once at least. That's all it took for me was once, I'll never go again, right? That's just the way it is. You may be a cruise person. You're like, I'm offended by that. It wasn't for me. But here's what you get on a cruise ship. You know what? From the moment you step foot on that boat, their job is, number one, to keep you comfortable. We're going to make you comfortable. We're, we're going we're to feed you like, like you've never been fed before. And this has been my experience on, on what you, as you go and you eat all this food. Here's what you discover on cruise ships. All right. You have uh, people wearing bathing suits that should never wear those bathing suits. You know what I'm talking about? Like you want to go and say, honey, listen, that season has passed and so has that suit. Right? <laughs> You, 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 am, I, am I lying? That's what you're going to encounter. And here's what you do. When you get there, it's like they want to put food in your belly and a drink in your hand, and we're going to make you comfortable. And we're going to, and at some point, by, week, by day three, here's what you're doing. You're rolling down the little aisle to the pool, and you're like, give me another hamburger. That's what it looks like on a cruise ship, right? Don't, don't do anything. We'll do everything. We'll clean your room. We'll cook your food. We'll put it in your hand. We'll make sure your drink never goes empty. We'll do all of this because our aim is for you. The entire time is for you to be as comfortable as possible. Listen, New Beginnings, this is not a cruise ship. So many people gather in church, and here's what you want. I want to be greeted when I walk in. I want 14 people to say hi to me. I want the coffee, great. I want the music, good, and it needs to be the type that I like. I want pastor you to preach 30 minutes, good luck. I want you to make me laugh, make me cry, inspire me, tell me something I hadn't heard before, get me out on time, and make sure that you don't inconvenience me by asking me to do anything because, man, you see this place as a cruise ship. God never intended this to be a cruise ship. Our gathering each week. Listen, we're an aircraft carrier. You know the difference? An aircraft carrier takes itself near the battle and becomes a place where those who are in the battle might come and get refueled and get bandaged and encouraged and then sent back out to battle. 
And so this place should look like men and women gathering together all in the fight together. We come and we sing and we remember why we're here and we remember who we serve and we bring even people that, that don't know Christ into this place and they watch us love on one another, serve one another, care for one another, minister to one another as we lift our voices, we pray, we gather in groups. As the, as the world sees this, they're able to see what Jesus' people really look like. And then we get encouraged and we send, get sent back out into the battle. This is God's intention. This is who God's called us to be. Some of you need to get in the fight. Some of you need to get in the fight. We have so many ministry needs right now on both of our campuses. And yet we have more than enough people to love one another, to serve one another, to say, I'm not coming. See, Jesus' motto is this. Check this out. Jesus' motto is, I have not come to be served. I've come to serve. The motto of far too many Christians is, I have not come to serve, I've come to be served. And listen, we need to emulate Jesus. We need to get in the fight. And here's what happens. Day by day, the Lord added to their numbers daily those who are being saved, those who are being transformed by the power of the gospel. Lives being changed.